Welcome to another episode of Business School. My name is Phineas Ellis. I am the co-founder of Stereotype Studio, a podcast production company. And my name is Stephen Cool. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Burrow, a direct-to-consumer furniture brand. This is a show where we explore many different aspects of consumer startup culture. Um, and one thing that we wanted to do more of is providing a behind the scenes look of how founders build their companies, what their style is, the challenges that they face and whatnot. And today we have a really great episode covering some of those topics. Yeah, we have on Matt Scanlon, who is the co-founder and CEO of Nadam Kashmir and has done a number of different things since he started the business. We touch on self-alignment and identity and how being an entrepreneur can be a fit for your personality and not just a decision that you make. We touch on wholesale versus direct consumer, the different things that people do early on to gain any level of advantage. And then we touch on where he's taking Nottam, which was fascinating, quite surprising to me. Yeah, fascinating. I thought that was maybe one of the more interesting parts of the conversation was where he's taking this business. Yeah, and I think the most interesting thing is just how Matt is, and he'll, he'll say this, he's a great storyteller and he's a great communicator and he does a really nice job of articulating some of these points. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. Welcome, Matt, to the show. To give a bit of background, uh, I've known Matt for a number of years. He, he started Nottam Kashmir and is now the CEO of other companies and is doing a bunch of stuff, which we'll get into. But when I first heard about Nottam, I was I was at Warby Parker and Matt was had just started the company and didn't have any background of being an entrepreneur, didn't have any background in fashion, was just a guy uh, with his business partner, Diedrich, that fell into this business and created something basically from nothing. And we used to get coffee and he was just a sponge. One of the things I've always admired about Matt is he's always self-aware and what he doesn't know. Even to this day, he's somebody that is always acknowledging the things that he does not know. Even before the call, he just mentioned talking to a mentor of his about an experience that he had. It's like constantly doing that. And so I wanted to start there, but first, welcome, Matt. Cool. Wow. I didn't realize I was going to get such a good intro there. Uh, that was like actually very spot on. You know, we've known each other a long time. And uh, I just, I remember when you were selling it, you had a scarf and some some gloves and you were selling in some little boutique in the West Village and would just take whatever you could get. And I always admired that. So let's rewind a bit and just like drop into that time in your life. Well, a big part of the story uh, is, is Diedrich, who I do the talking for a lot of times, but like he and I are best friends and we've, we're lucky in our partnership that it really is like a partnership. We've learned to use each other's strengths to make one another truly better. And we kind of fell into that pattern really early on where I knew I might not be the best learner. Like I'm not the best pure learner. Was never a particularly good student, but was a strong communicator. Dietrich was a very good learner and a strong student, but an but not a very good communicator. And that's kind of where it first started in, in that we were trying to figure out how to do things like make a website or, you know, make a sweater, like simple things now. And um, I, I would say, you know, Diedrich, this is 
kind of what we want to do, right? And we'd talk through strategy, and then I, I'd say, okay, can you, like, learn this and then teach it to me? And, and then I'll, <laughs> you know, uh, use it to go, you know, do the next thing. And then we'll, we'll, we follow that pattern in, in one form or another. I've been most obsessed along kind of this process, most obsessed with, like, personal development. Like, I, I find that, like, when I feel like I'm growing as a person, professionally, I, I develop. And it's those moments where I feel like when I really invested in the personal side, focusing on self-awareness, which, which you mentioned early on, but it, it is something that matters a lot to me. Empathy, like, like human skills, that was ultimately what propelled us, right? Because... Yeah, you're talking about with your, with your team? I, I think there's team, there's investor relations. Like, all of it for me feels very kind of bundled together and that, like, when you invest in understanding other people and listening to other people, you uh, really understand how to collaborate with them better. You understand how you position yourself in that conversation. So much of our story, going back to those early days, for me, is directly tied to growing as, as a person. When I, uh, this is the last anecdote I'll, I'll give. When I realized I was an entrepreneur, like all of a sudden my whole life, like I looked at my whole life and I was like, oh, I've always been an entrepreneur. Like the label helped me a lot understand things that as a student or as a kid or, you know, as a kid getting kicked out of boarding schools, as a kid getting kicked out of colleges, like not really understanding that when I dedicated myself to building, you know, this business with Diedrich, it all, it all made sense to me. And it was... It gave me confidence, right? And that confidence preempted that personal interest, personal development, and then professional development. So, yeah, uh, th th those early days, certainly tons of fun stories about, like, hustling and, like, groveling and, like, killing myself to get people to buy sweaters from us. But it's also, I think, more interesting for me to think about who I was as a person and who I am today. Well, I want to do a, a whole nother episode on that. <laughs> I think we don't often talk about how entrepreneurship helps give focus to people that didn't have it or helps give direct. We, we, I think so often we think about entrepreneurship as like something that's deep within us and we do it and it's about hard work and, and grit and all these things. And it is, but it's also about like some people are a fit to be an entrepreneur. And it gives them sort of that clarity because there's also the humility that you had early on starting the business where you could ask and get rejected and be cool with that. But I don't know that I would expect that to be something that you had when you first started it. So, yeah, we don't totally have to go in this direction here, but this is an interesting this is an interesting topic. And it's one that that I think about all the time. Because my business success and the mutations the organization has taken are a direct result of understanding other people, collaborating with other people, um, finding like-mindedness, whether it was within something Navy or Takoon, um, how we've expanded Nottam, how we initially built our relationships in the middle of the Gobi Desert in Mongolia. There is a very clear, for me anyways, a very clear common thread between all of that, which is meeting people in a place of like, hey, I don't really know, <laughs> and I'd love if you could tell me. For me, that's something that I've always, you know, ad adapted to. Like I said, I was never uh, a student per se. I can remember being like a young kid and like needing to be friends with the smart kid so he could give me the answers to the test or at least sit behind them during the test, right? Or realizing that 
you know, I might not get an A on my own here, but if the teacher really likes me, she, she's going to round me up sometimes. Um, me too. <laughs> I know it's it's not like a fun Harvard business case study type of, uh, you know, we, we create a formula on a whiteboard type of thing, but, but I actually think it's more common in people's business entrepreneurial journeys um, than we talk about oftentimes. I, I completely agree with that. I think, and it's not a one size fits all. I think everybody has their own path. And I think the key to being a successful entrepreneur is when you are good at just figuring out how to leverage your own strengths to get ahead. Uh, there's so much I want to say about all of this because it, th there were moments when I started to realize, to answer your question, there were moments where I realized I was an entrepreneur when things worked, right? Like, like it was like, oh, working outside of the lines basically kind of works for me my, my my biggest thing is i can only teach myself like diedrich's the only person that's ever really been able to teach me anything but outside of that i need to find information on my own and i need to process it in the way i know i have to process information and that means that working within other systems other people's systems is just not a place that i'm going to be successful Right? If you came to me and said, okay, follow these guidelines and do these things, I'll never, it'll never work for me. I have to create my own guidelines and systems to be successful. So it was that moment of like, oh, I can, I can create those systems. I can create those guidelines. Well, then if I set that course, then I know I'll be successful. And it was that realization. It was kind of like a no turning back. You're talking about self-awareness, but I think to be really successful in a consumer company is to really start to understand what your customers want. And like once you start seeing like, oh, I can anticipate that if we make this change, people really re will respond to this and you're aware of what they want. Like when did that click for you? For me, uh, it started with like passion. So at first it was, okay, here's the things I love. I know one of the things I'm good at is convincing other people that the things I like are things that they should like. I don't know what that means. I didn't know that that meant I was a marketer or a salesperson or, you know, loved branding or anything like that. For me, it was just that, like, well, this is all I have. <laughs> and, like, if I can't get other people excited about this, uh, that's a problem. Uh, so, so that's, like, where, where it really began. Um, but as our business grew and, you know, our I matured professionally, I came to realize that, that that same intuition is core to a lot of consumer brands. Um, two, three years ago, we started working with a um, one of my mentors now, a guy named Silas Chow, who started Michael Kors and Tommy Hilfiger. And first time I sat down with him, it was like a, a big realization for me. He explained his life story to me, right? From the early days of licensing Ralph Lauren in the 70s to finding this designer named Tommy Hilfiger in 1987, and then uh, Michael Kors in 2000, like buying a basically bankrupt apparel brand from LVMH for like $15 million from, L from LVMH. And um, his realization was at every part of that journey, I was the customer. Like in 1987, I was, you know, he was saying to me, I was 30 something years old and we realized that in the it was the technology age and you didn't have to wear a suit and tie anymore and you could wear jeans and a sweater and that was the look, right? And so he was relating it back to his life and how he was the customer at every stage of his success. But what he was really saying was we just understood. 
what the customer wanted at those times. And we were making the thing that they wanted. And I think you could look at that across technology. You could look at across most consumer from CPG to apparel and find the same similarity. Um, but that was kind of this realization for me that, oh, what we're doing actually stacks up against all the things that consumers want right now. And the impetus for it was just, these are the things that we think matter to us, right? We, we felt like, well, we want luxury stuff. Uh, we you know, were brought up by boomers who you know, showed us that they could have things. And so we wanted those things at a certain age. So cashmere sounds good. I like that. Um, but I, I can't afford it. So how do I make it for me? Okay, that, that was one. Two, well, when I really look at this process and system, it's inefficient and not sustainable. And I've been being told since I was a kid that the environment is falling apart and we're destroying our planet. So sustainability matters to me. And so there were a bunch of points along the way where the things that mattered to us were the things that mattered to our consumer and the luck. And it's all luck at the end of the day, for me anyways, is we were in the right place at the right time. That the things that mattered to us were the things that mattered to a huge population of people who were becoming the largest consumer demographic in U.S. history, right? They want to be spoken to in a more casual, accessible way. They want values behind the things that they want. They want value out of their product. So I put that all in perspective once I met, once I met Silas and realized, oh, we actually know what our customer wants really, really well because at the core we are our customer. And then we started developing systems and processes that extracted information to basically c compound, uh, to, to build something that became very creative very quickly in that you know, one insight leads to another and then that produces a result and that result influences the development of the business and so on and so forth. And there's a ripple effect from it. If you look at businesses, I think, that, that end up not doing well, it's because they don't start with that like, very core product market fit, right? Like they didn't make something for a market that wanted that thing. And that's always been true for a consumer dating back, you know, to the days of Spanx. Yeah. How, how relevant it was that in the early days? And I, I think when you're starting a business and you think there's product market fit, first of all, I'm not sure, did you feel like you knew there was product market fit in the early days? And were you confident that cashmere was going to be something that the world wanted? And did you, I mean, you didn't have any experience in it. So how did you deal with feeling insecure about your path in life for, that you're starting a cashmere business and you have no earthly idea about whether or not people are going to receive it? And I know firsthand that in the early days, it took a while to figure out whether people did want it. Yeah, we, we didn't, we didn't know, honestly. So, so before we really understood the, like, I think of product market fit in two ways. There's like brand product market fit, right? And, and brands important in that it sends a signal to a customer about a value system. And then they attach that value system to their daily life. And they either want that value system or they don't. We knew that the value system was a, was a fit. We knew that because we were the customer. Sustainability right? is, imp and sustainability is important. Value and sustainability are like very, Anybody who's questions that, like, oh, is it smart to build a brand around that? <laughs> it's like, yeah. who are you? Have yeah. you been living under a rock for the last 50 years? Well, to be fair, a lot of people didn't think it was early on. And that was the only thing I had was our story, right? And the story was tied directly to how we did things and why we did what year? What year did you start? 13, 14, something like Well, you know, dep depends. Like, yeah, we like started doing it full time or 13 or 14. And I would say 15 is like the year that 
we launched and then we didn't raise money until 16, 17. So there was a, like the years of 13 to, to 16, yeah, we had no idea what product market fit would look like. And, and thus we didn't deserve fundraising. And it was, you know, basically Dejuk and I just trying to figure it out. Um, but we always had our story. We always had the reasons why we were committed to doing this thing in the first place. And I feel like that's always what separated our, our brand was that there was a reason why it existed. And we knew that that was what we had, but we didn't have the right product at the right time yet. So we had to fail over and over again to basically identify where the pocket of value was. And then something became very clear. It was, okay, if this value system matters to this consumer, let's take a look at what this consumer actually spends their money on. And there was a moment where uh, they weren't sure if they were spending their money on sustainability yet, right? Like you can make a case that like as long as it was cheap, it didn't matter if it was sustainable. But that changed. And it, it, was, it was purely based on time, the fact that this demographic who had no money coming out of college started to make some money. And then they said, and this is well documented in the history of con consumer you know, business case studies, but like there was a moment of, oh, yeah, we're going to spend our money on the things that matter to us, the things that are sustainable, the things that have character and value to them. And um, that's where our business changed. It really took hold when we said, okay, let's make a $75 sweater, right? That was product market fit. It was perfect, right? It was, here's a product that is accessible and easy to acquire. It is objectively valuable. Like it, wherever you go in the world, at any point in time, this will be clear clear that there's value here based on cost of other products, based on the perception of the product and material itself. So that made a lot of sense. And then when the brand looked like what you would think, a brand that was making a value, valuable product at a good price that had sustainability at its core, when all of that added up, values, product, product price, and basically like look and feel like what our brand sounded like, the business like literally overnight went crazy and, and we made a brand video. I'm forever, I, I had this feeling that I could tell my story really, really well, right? And if it was just us on this call, no one listening, I could convince the two of you to buy a sweater, no matter what, that, that was easy, right? You would hear the story like, holy shit, this is crazy. But it was when I put it in video format and I told that story with the characteristic of what the brand was, which had certainly an endearing quality to it, which, um, was funny, made, was humble and made fun of itself, right? Like self-deprecation is at the core of everything we do. We don't take ourselves too seriously. We make freaking sweaters. Like the day I take what I do too seriously is the day is probably not very interesting to me anymore. And I think that once we could package that up and you could look at it and see it and hear it in video format, it made perfect sense to the customer. And then they had a product that they could buy as a result of relating to all of that. And it was easy. Why do you think other people's videos have failed? Because like yours was really successful. And I think there's been a couple brands that have made really successful videos to tell their story. But there's been a lot that have not made it. And like we just never even made one ourselves because we were like, I don't know how to communicate this in a video. So like I'm not going to try to just copy someone else's formula. We'll just do other stuff to, to get the word out there. But like why, why, do, why was yours so successful where others have failed? I think that there are a lot of videos that have been produced since we made ours or around even around the time we made ours that were formulaic, manufactured and, and very much contrived to 
like we were saying before, sell something rather than make something people actually wanted. And that's what our, our video was at its core. It was organic. It was our, it was our story. It, it was honest and truthful. And I think it had the right elements of relatability from like a pure human social perspective that make it endearing and interesting to people. I mean, if I showed you, showed you over the years the amount of emails that we get from people that say like, I saw, I saw your video on YouTube or like an ad for your video on YouTube and it, you know, you can click out of it in five seconds. You only have to watch five seconds of it and like I watched the whole thing. It's insane. I mean, we regularly get feedback from Google that they tell us like, there aren't other things like this, really. Like if you wanted to spend millions and millions or tens of millions of dollars just promoting this video, it would return at a very desirable conversion rate, unlike other things we see in the very highest percentile. You can't fake authenticity. You really can't. And this is one of this is something that I think a lot of investors don't understand is when they're like, oh, you know what gets a good valuation multiple is if you do this part to your business. Or like, why don't you do it this way? Or like, this is work for somebody else. And it's like, if you really wanna help your company succeed, help them just lean into the things that they're really passionate about, because mm -hmm. that's where you get the most value. Not trying to force something else because it worked for somebody else. Um, and they do it all the time. I mean, Matt, you probably hear, hear, hear it all the time. Totally. And I, I think if this goes back to one of the first things we were talking about. Diedrich let me lean into the things that I was naturally good at. And I let him lean into the things that he was naturally good at. One of the things I was naturally good at was storytelling. I mean, Phineas, you've known this, been telling stories since the day we met each other. Yeah. 12 years ago, whatever it is. So we were giving each other the opportunity to do that for sure. And I, I think this is also something that is naturally... It exists more in consumer than it does in other categories, right? If we were talking about like Zoom or something, it doesn't really matter. But for a consumer business, you have to have you have to have this quality. I think it's it's paramount. And you look at the history of great consumer brands. It's unique in in consumer that a business that doesn't take on crazy funding and doesn't have a lot of you know manufactured elements can skyrocket. It's an emotional connection, right? A thousand percent. Yeah. A thousand percent. It's so, so unique to this category. And there's a gajillion case studies of how that works. And so it works perfectly for me, right? Who, who I'm not going to work well within a system. I work within the system I create and it has emotion and it has passion tied to it. And it has things that are not like clinical, so to speak, tied to its success. I want to pivot a little bit to give a bit of background, you, you've been the founder and CEO, co-founder of Nottam for years now, but in recent years, you've taken on additional titles and positions as the CEO of other businesses. Can you tell us a little bit about that transition and what are those businesses and why why and how you're able to be the CEO of three companies? Uh, yeah, again, this is something It just goes back to the beginning. I only do the things that I'm good at which means I surround myself with people who do the things that they're really good at. So I have a team that is both empowered, but sophisticated, and I lean on them. You know, I relate relationships at the executive level or kind of senior management level of like, we're both leaning against each other. We're both like falling back on each other. And I need to put all my weight on you and you need to put all your weight on me. And if there's moments of where I feel like well, you like kind of like ducked out of the way and I kind of fell on my ass, I don't trust this relationship the same way. I'm not going to put all my weight on you. 
But when you develop professional relationships where you can put all your weight on the other person, they can put all their weight back on you, you stand up, you're pretty sturdy. And so I recognized we had very sturdy senior management relationships and that we were identifying things in our category that potentially other organizations at our size and scale were not capable of acting on, even if they had identified them. But learning curve stuff, right? Like we understood the power of using earned media opportunity to scale paid media strategies really well. And there's a dozen ways that you rely on earned media opportunity, whether it's influencer-driven, designer-driven, story-driven, whatever. Um, but then actually to build very sophisticated digital marketing strategies on top of that. So you go from having businesses with 4X or 5X ROAS on their digital marketing spend to 13, 15X. Well, that's the difference between running a business at you know a $3 million loss or $3 million profitability. So we saw that. You know, we also recognized that a lot of the infrastructure at Nottum was more sophisticated than probably our scale, meaning that like we weren't utilizing all of our operations 100%. And that maybe we never would, right? Am I going to sell a billion dollars worth of sweaters? I don't know if I am. It's not, and, and I would be very hesitant to say that or promise that financially to anybody because I don't know if the category will ever allow it. But we have operations that can move volume like that. We have teams from Africa to Asia to South America. We have sophisticated ERP software solutions that connect, and we know how to connect aspects of evolving distribution channels like direct consumer to other operations like wholesale or retail, like true omni-channel operations through technology systems that make sure you know what your net really is, right? A lot of startups have a difficult time understanding how to net out what money they're actually making. So we had like built all that operation. And then I saw a couple other things happening in the industry. One, you know, I felt like the, the ceiling was opening up. A lot of big legacy players were either buying businesses across categories because they knew they couldn't, they couldn't make what was getting started at an early level, or they were going bankrupt. <laughs> so like, <laughs> literally, things were going away or they were buying other things. Like, it was one or the other. Um, at the same time that that was happening, a lot of disillusionment around early-stage consumer investing. And so whereas you might have been able to get a business to $10 million in revenue and losing $3 million and raise $10 million, that climate doesn't exist anymore. It does not exist. If you deprioritize your profit now, you it's very difficult to, to raise money. And that's because all of a sudden things started to trade publicly that didn't do so well. Or it was very difficult to get an outcome for a consumer business that was losing $20 million a year. And so we said, okay, the early dollars to allow businesses that are going to reach that pivot point around operations and operational scale are not there. We have the sophistication processes and operations and quite simply the experience. Let's match ourselves up against those opportunities and in doing so, we will allow businesses at an earlier stage to scale faster in a very, you know, the, the simplest format is if you had an idea and, you know, we pre-qualified that it had great community and brand and product market fit and all that, but you could just attach it to a bunch of operations and systems and, and teams that were doing it at a massive scale or like re relatively massive scale, you would more likely be successful, right? Any dollar that got invested in that business should go further. So that was all the insight that led to, okay, let's go try and find some of those opportunities. 
Um, I didn't go out with a sniper rifle. I just was telling people that this might be interesting and had conversations and it was very organic. Like the relationship with Ariel and Brandon at Something Navy was very organic. I saw the brand for what it was and said, this is insane. Like the community around this lifestyle identity is one of the more powerful things I've ever seen in this category. All the operations that allow that that thing to grow are so expensive and so complicated and it's nearly a miracle that I figured out how to do it. So let me just give it to you and it'll make this seem like a, a much better investment and better opportunity. And we spread that same idea around a little bit. Are they, are you plugging into them or are they plugging into you? Uh, they, they plug into, into us. Into you. Got it. So if I invest, what am I investing in or what, what's the, how are those entities set up? I mean, are you the CEO of all three with your team under the NADAM sort of infrastructure or are you lending your infrastructure to the something Navy business? Like how, how is that? Cause I would imagine that would, they those could butt up against each other at certain points. I think it's, it's all in communication. I think you, you could let it, you could let it become a problem if you don't, you know, think about it strategically and communicate with people around expectations and how things should be built. The firm reality is that we don't, uh, and we, we haven't set too much in stone that, that, the number one priority is still find a way to work with brands we think have a unique opportunity. That's it. So if, if that's our number one goal, then you realize that structurally, you could do whatever you have to do as long as everyone agrees on that structure. So in the case of something Navy, we earn into interest of the organization, at Nottam does, not me personally, I, I don't own any of it, as we deliver results we said we could get them. A big thing for me was saying, like, listen, a lot of people are going to come to you and tell you that they can build this business with you. And if any of them want you to give them money up front, run for the hills. That truly is the future. And that's where we're headed is to onboard more companies that you see product market fit, good community, brand identity, like the, the, the makings of something that just needs to be plugged into a larger apparatus that can then be scaled quickly and efficiently using your team infrastructure and learnings. That's the future of Nottam. I think the best word is our platform. Nottam truly becoming a holding co of multiple brand assets at different stages. The kind of other element here is, sure, I could continue to build Nottam to $400 million. But the cost is going to be high and it will take time, right? Like if I want to do it with no extra money, it'll take, it'll take 10 years, maybe, uh, you know, that's, that's my best guess. Or I could raise a hundred million dollars and probably get there in four, four years. But none of that is great. Like n none of that, I think properly assesses how the business transacts at a much later stage and how that impacts early stage investor liquidity and it's really not appealing. So the best thing to do is to acquire growth by partnering and acquiring other brands. Where I say see a business that's at twenty million losing a million dollars and say, Well, I can make this make five million dollars and stay at twenty million because I'm just gonna yank the guts out of it and make it more efficient. And you don't need all this stuff. Plus what you're spending money on, you shouldn't be spending money on anyways. Like so so simple the other side of it is, you know, I can double the business over two years probably as well. And all of a sudden, that's all low-hanging fruit. Yeah. So you look at where value comes from and would you rather start tackling low-hanging fruit, things that have way lower risk associated with them and no financial risk, maybe some, but not a lot, 
or would you take on more financial risk and shoot, shoot for the moon when the end result, right, long-term liquidity options, selling something for billions of dollars is probably the same exact risk level or the same probability. That's where our mindset is now. Um, Nautum is a healthy, awesome business and it's going to continue to grow on its own. We, we know that we can be more impactful in other areas. That's fascinating. And I, I do, one of the big takeaways, and then we're done, is what you're also doing from a business perspective, that's fascinating. And I think a really interesting opportunity, but what you're also doing is harkening back to what we talked about at the beginning of the episode, which is like, you're also putting yourself in a position to be yourself and to do the thing that you're good at. This is what you're good at. And this is what you're interested in. And that self-alignment allows you to have energy every day and to you know, work like it's your company and do the things that you need to do to, to scale that company. This is also a self-alignment example as much as it is a business opportunity, which I think is important, right? Not everybody wants to raise $100 million and scale to be a billion-dollar business. Some people do, and if you wanted to do that and that was who you were to your core, you'd figure out a way to make it work for your early-stage investors and for yourself long-term. But all of those forces coming together, I think, is the alchemy that makes this work a hundred percent i mean we think we will develop a billion dollar outcome but just through a slightly different formula but it only happens because we have investors that that recognize what you just recognize which is this will be successful if we let these guys you know these founders this business lean into the things that it's good at yeah and we're very lucky we have some investors who understand me believe in me, believe in Diedrich, understand him, and have been through it themselves. And and that's a that's a perfect scenario uh, for us, honestly. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming, man. Thank you for joining us. That was fun. That was fun. Class dismissed. Class has always been dismissed. I'm <laughs> sure get out of here. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Thank you for listening. If you want to support this podcast, the best thing you can do is hit the subscribe button. Take a minute, hit the subscribe button so you'll be notified whenever we come out with a new episode.